This morning we're reading from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 begins like this. And so, brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. And each will receive the wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants working together. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of God for the people of God. Have you ever read any of these letters Paul writes and felt yourself just a little bit offended? I mean, he speaks sometimes with such strong language. He sometimes comes with a little bit of an attacking attitude, saying you're just babies in Christ, for example, in this one today. I read it. I take it seriously. I believe God can speak to us through what's written here. And yet sometimes I wonder, why? Why did you write it like that? Why are you feeling so strongly and expressing it so critically? I want us to take this seriously. I want us to learn from it. But for just a minute, I'm going to ask you to imagine yourself being the recipient of this letter. Just three weeks ago, we read from the very first part of this letter, chapter 1. It starts out in rather glowing terms. You might remember, Paul starts like this, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. That sounds pretty good. Sounds like we're all on the same team and he's complimenting us. He goes on to say that you're called to be saints together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ that sounds wonderful. I think we're on the same team. Paul is supporting me here. But then just flip the page. And we get to chapter 3 where we started today. And it has such a different tone. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. But rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Then he goes on to say, oh, I fed you with milk because you couldn't handle solid food. You're too much of a baby. In fact, you still can't handle solid food because you're so immature in Christ. 
Paul places himself here as the only one mature. And to all whom he writes, he says, you are immature in Christ. And it seems so harsh. But then in verse 3, he begins to give them some specifics, some criteria, if you will, for why he's saying these kinds of things. Verse 3 reads like this. For you are still of the flesh, for as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? He gives them the opportunity to decide, am I right about you or not? He gives us that same opportunity. Each of us can do a self-assessment. We can ask, are we plagued by jealousy? Are we caught up in quarreling? In other places, Paul adds some other things to the list. But you get the idea. He's giving us some specifics, some characteristics, some behaviors where we can do some self-reflection, some introspection, and ask ourselves, am I caught up in that? Am I participating in jealousy and quarreling within the body of Christ? If so, Paul says, you're an infant. You're still just beginning. You're just taking baby steps in terms of being a follower of Christ. Then in the next few sentences, Paul reveals to us what's going on here. He lets us know that the fight the Corinthians are having is over which leader they liked best in their church. Some are saying, Paul, we love Paul. Others are saying, oh no, it's Apollos, he's the better one. And Paul is a little disgusted with all of that. But I wondered how many Christians have been caught up in that same argument over the years. I don't know the exact number, but I can tell you here we are some 2,000 years later, and it's still happening. Just before I was appointed here to be your senior pastor in 2013, I served three years as a district superintendent. District superintendents in the United Methodist Church assist the bishop in making appointments of pastors to churches trying to help figure out what is the best match between this church who needs a pastor and the pastors that are available. But you also find yourself spending a lot of time walking into a room to sit down with a group of leaders and realizing they're already in a fight. They're already angry at each other because some are saying, I liked Paul better. Oh, I want the next pastor to be like Apollos. They just substitute the names of the last pastor or the one they had two or three times ago or whichever one they like best. And they're quarreling amongst themselves. It seems that this is a very common experience in local churches that people divide up into factions. They find those whom agree with themselves and they attack the others. So the others circle up and attack back. And Paul says, this is nonsense. 
to get caught up in the personality of the pastor is not the right focus. Oh, I understand why we like one pastor better than another. We all have different personalities. We connect with different people for different reasons. Maybe it's the age of the pastors closer. Maybe the stage in life that I'm in affects how I'm hearing the pastor. Maybe we like their personality the way they preach, the way they interact, it could be any number of things. We know that if you joined under a particular pastor, you join that church with that pastor, the likelihood that you're going to love them the best skyrockets. They're the one that brought you into the faith. They're the one who brought you into the fold. You're going to have an affinity and affection for them most likely greater than others. But Paul says, as interesting as all that is, it's problematic. Because the real problem, the crux of the issue, the problem comes when people get so focused on the person that they allow that to be more important than what God is doing through whomever the servant or the pastor or the leader is standing in that particular place and time. Here it is, as Paul writes it, beginning in verse 4. For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul writes, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So what is Paul saying is the best or the most effective or the healthy focus for any and all of us, for any church? He says, focus on God. Focus on God. That's the place to start. Ask questions about what is God doing in our midst? Where is God leading us? What gifts has God brought to this place so that God can be at work in the world? So that God's love might become better known in the world. In verse 8, Paul says, The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose. And in verse 9, for we are God's servants working together. We're to focus on God and understand ourselves as servants of God. Paul is saying if we can get that focus right, if we can get that starting place correct, then we can work together. Then God can do great things through us and among us. Our leaders who wrote up our core values, wrote the sixth core value to read like this. I've put it in your outline. The Boston Avenue Church community develops mission partnerships as Christ love in action. We develop mission partnerships as a way of putting Christ's love in action. Our work area on missions has been working the last couple of years trying to gather data from across the congregation as to how well we are doing. 
They've recently given us the report. If you were at the Chili Supper on Sunday night, you heard this report from Ed Payton, our lay leader, and Mark Collins, our chair on the work area of missions, and Reverend Sarah Pugh Montgomery, who's our pastor liaison with that group. The statistics really are amazing when you begin to add up all that we have done together. They reported that last year, combined, we gave $595,287 for mission work outside the church. These are dollars who went to help meet needs of people to proclaim the gospel to those in need. But not only over a half a million dollars given, but also we were asked from time to time to bring jars of peanut butter or snack packs to help particular ministries who are giving out food. When they totaled all that up, they found that we gave goods valued at over $100,000. In addition to the money I already mentioned. For example, Cooks and Hills Mission works with some of the very poorest people in our state. We sent over $30,000 in goods for them to help them extend ministry primarily to children who have food insecurity. We also sent nearly $30,000 in goods to our partner school, Burroughs Elementary, helping teachers have supplies they need and students to have the resources they need to learn. It's amazing how much good we can do together. It's amazing how God can work through our willingness and our generosity to give. They added up how many people came to a mission project or went on a mission trip or were a part of some kind of outreach. They found over 3,000 people showed up to serve in one of our many different opportunities for service to outreach for others. But maybe the most important number, the most important statistic they gathered has to do with how many people served, how many lives were touched by our efforts in terms of extending God's love. And the number of people served equaled 113,018. Isn't that remarkable? Before I saw the statistic, I thought, oh, we probably served hundreds of people. Oh, maybe even a thousand. But I had no idea that we had worked in so many different places in so many different ways. And so many of you had given of yourself and of your time and of your talent and of your resources that over a hundred thousand people have been touched by our efforts to proclaim the gospel in all kinds of different settings by all different kinds of people. And even as great as all of those statistics indicate the work is going, we also know that the landscape for mission work out of the church has changed dramatically in the last several years. Some of the research I was reading recently said anywhere from 30 to 50 years ago, the church or other religious organizations were the only groups gathering money to serve somebody else. But they said about 30 years ago, lots of people got the idea that it would be good to start a nonprofit organization to respond to some kind of specific need. And they said every year there's been more and more nonprofits started until today in America, there are some 2 million nonprofits functioning all of them asking for money trying to raise funds for a particular cause 
and they do great work and some of them are our partner organizations but it means that where the church used to receive well over half of all charitable dollars today that has declined to less than 30 percent so we're in a different cultural setting now than we used to be in terms of continuing to witness for christ to be a missional congregation reaching out to serve others with god's love and they these other nonprofits do good work universities and hospitals for example raise lots of monies do good work but they still charge for their services all kinds of other nonprofits make a difference in people's lives but who besides the church has dedicated themselves to proclaim the gospel and help people understand what kind of life-changing relationship they can have with God through Christ who else is going to do that if we don't do that we have a calling to continue to work as effectively and as efficiently as we can to be a part of extending God's love beyond the walls of our building. Last year, we partnered with over 75 different agencies to accomplish our work of connecting people with God's unconditional love. My summary would be we're doing outstanding work, that together God is doing amazing things through us. But as the culture changes, we'll continue to need to partner with other organizations to financially afford this, to leverage the gifts we give, to make best use of our resources so that truly we can continue to reach out and offer life-changing ministry in the name of Christ to any and all who come and need our aid. The way we said it was the Boston Avenue Church community develops mission partnerships as christ love and action paul makes it so clear in this passage and others where our focus is to be what's the starting place paul says be sure you're focused on god first and foremost because once you have that clear then you share common purpose with other christians with brothers and sisters in christ and together god can work through you in powerful ways of course the good news is god does not leave us alone in this work the gospels and paul's letters make it so very clear that god has sent us christ to not only show us the way but to empower us to be the hands and feet to be the boots on the ground if you will of doing this work of god in the world of making this love manifest to those who are in need we have an important role to play in the lives of the people all around us looking for hope and help and healing and together and with god's help we can do this work and paul says when we have that kind of spirit among us that really we'll be able to transcend jealousy and quarreling and strife that so often crop up within churches and groups of people trying to work together 
I want to take just a couple of minutes to recap these core values that we've been working on these last several weeks. We made an acrostic out of those. That is, we've taken the first letter of each of these and turned it into a word so it spells ascends. I put it in your outline. A is for affirms everyone is a beloved child of God. S is sees spiritual growth as a lifelong journey. C, cultivates music, architecture, and the arts as a means of experiencing God. E, embraces a reasoned approach to faith and scripture. N, nurtures our congregation to be ambassadors for reconciliation. D, the one we're working on today, develops mission partnerships as Christ, love, and action. And then next week will be strives, S for strives for I've left that blank. You have to come next week. We'll fill in the blank. <laughs> Strives for a blank and the service of God as number seven. We'll work on it next week. But we give you the cards that we've been giving you at the end of the service. We've come up with the acrostic to help you internalize these. We truly believe the more that we can become familiar with these, and embed them in our life together, we become a stronger church and a more vital place for God to work. But not only as a group, but we believe it will help you clarify your own walk in faith as you strive to be a follower of Christ. What's most important in your life? What truly is at the core of your faith walk with Christ? It might be some of these. You might articulate it in a different way, but being clear about it is so very important. We wrote a song, a verse to the tune of Amazing Grace that we sang the first time back in September at State of the Church. It has the word ascends in it. We'll be singing that the next few weeks as well. Just another way to remember and internalize what we're talking about here. But if you collect the cards and think and pray about this, I believe God will speak to you in all of this. And it will be an inspiration to you. May God strengthen us all. That truly, as Paul writes and hopes for these early Christians, perhaps it could be true of us as well, that we could see ourselves as God's servants working together. May it be so. Amen.